They just came on now. Let's try to get closer to the stage. Sorry. Excuse me. Do you want to go on my shoulders? Yeah, that'd be unreal. Thanks. Wow. Three celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ie forward slash music. Inside of your ear in a post-holiday hiatus where bands in the blue shirts took a week off to celebrate Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever you celebrate and New Year's. But we're back now. We missed you and you missed us because we're in your ear. I am joined by Beth and Mike. Beth and Mike, hello. Hello. Hi. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Before we get going, we kind of changed up a couple of things, and I would like to tell you guys about it. Uh, first of all, we changed some of the Patreon stuff. This show is sponsored by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you all. You guys rock. Um, Beth, Mike, and I kind of sat down, and we talked about the podcast and some of the things that we thought we could do to make it better. I think we were circulating a little bit on um, the same things over and over again because the Rangers were doing the same things over and over again. So we opened up uh, every week. I'm going to post a tweet about what you want to hear on the next Bantering the Blue Shirts, and you guys can email me or put comments underneath that tweet or uh, send me Patreon notes or whatever it is. Um, the first segment was overwhelmingly positive. We got like 55 different uh, people requesting things to talk about on the show. So... Um, you know, we, uh, it's too much for us to do in one show to do that many things. So instead of doing the paragraphs on the Patreon, which a lot of people, uh, you know, were not totally thrilled with, they didn't think it was that cool. If you donate to Patreon, uh, $10 or more a month, we will get to your questions before everybody else's. If you donate at all, we'll endeavor to get to yours before everybody else's and you know, obviously we're doing our due diligence to get it all out there, but we think it's just a better way to get you guys involved and to have everybody make this better. And uh, like I said, at some point, as we get closer to our goal, we're going to, um, you know, we're going to get some Skype subscriptions and get some better equipment and make the show even better. So that's my two minute spiel on that. Uh, if you have any questions, you can always email me or read the site. Uh, I put up a pretty good, um, Describer of everything that I just told you. Anyway, these topics are now things that you guys want to hear about. Woohoo! And uh, the biggest thing that we got asked was, "Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? Will the real New York Rangers please stand up?" Uh, Rick Nash is hurt. Mika Zibanejad is hurt. Pavel Buchnevich is hurt. There are uh, kind of thoughts that they may be back within the next couple of weeks. The New York Rangers went from a team that could not stop scoring to a team that could not stop getting scored on against and who are the real rangers uh, mike why don't you uh why don't you kick us off with that loaded question oh thank you for that um 
it's it's funny. I've been doing a lot of digging around and uh, data. I have a, an article going up tomorrow morning about Kevin Hayes. Um, and in a lot of ways, Kevin Hayes kind of represents the Rangers this year. Uh, it's something I was slowly piecing together uh, through whatever bizarre fever head gold thing I have. And a lot of cough drops in my life recently. But um, Hayes is like at even strength, he's shooting 20%. Um, but I think he's up to 30 points this year. Last season, when everyone was panicking, calling him slow and lazy, he had 36 points. And uh, so in half that time, he's got 30. So he actually has a chance to hit 60 points. But the thing that's kind of vexing and peculiar is that he has the worst possession numbers on the team. Um, and you look at his like production and you say, well, how, how can that be? How can he be getting, you know, dominated and, you know, in the, the shots for shots against ratio when he has, what is it now? 13 goals this year, you know, and obviously before the game against Philly, when he had two goals, he had a, I think a 12 or 12 game scoring drop, but Hayes is this fun kind of, uh, like little encapsulation of the Rangers season because everyone is quick to point out, look at all the goals the Rangers have. And the last I checked, the Rangers have had the most even strength goals in the league, but they also have the sixth most goals against at even strength. And that's not a good thing. Um, And the special teams has been, you know, we rarely talk about it, but the special teams have been like light years better than they were, um, you know, last year. But, it's a very bizarre thing um, to have this team that, you know, we we kind of knew early on they weren't quite as good as they looked, or as quite as good as the scoreboard was, and and now it's it's really hard to kind of I know we talked we've talked about this a lot, but it's very hard to know who they are because they have an entire scoring line out of the lineup, and. On top of that, for this team is like one game they'll show up, uh, like the Flyers game, and another game, it's like they, you know, they didn't set an alarm in the morning like the the Sabres game. You know, I, I don't know what that team was, and you know, when they played Buffalo at the Garden, it was, it was very, very different from what we saw the next night in Philly. But um, I don't know, Beth. I'm already rambling. What do you think? Well, it's funny. You chose Hayes as the representative. I was going to take Kreider as the representative. Um, the guy who can't seem to, you know, you always feel that he's on the brink of becoming the player he's supposed to be. Um, and then he goes through a dry spell and you're waiting for it again. And then the next time it happens, this is the time. You know, and the announcers all inevitably coming into his own, blah, 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 always. I mean, I want a montage of those clips over the last three years about Chris Kreider coming into his own as a player, Chris Kreider discovering himself, Chris Kreider finding his game. Um, and, yeah, he has, and I was happy to see, his, you know, the fact that he pulled it off last night was sort of representative for me. Um, yeah. Because I think when I was wondering which team was playing, uh, I don't know if you guys remember at one point, uh, 
he broke in <laughs> with the puck to the flyer zone and ended up just doing some sort of weird victory lap around their net <laughs> by himself and sort of flew out the other side. And it was just like, well, what are you doing? Um, I mean, he maintained possession, I guess, but it was just sort of the, it was like, okay, something was supposed to happen there. That totally didn't happen. You know, not as if there wasn't a look or anything, but like he was broken, you know, some piece didn't click that would have made the rest of the things that are supposed to happen when he has the puck. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it's really hard to tell. I wrote about this in my recap last night, uh, which team you're going to get and who has the most influence on that. Is it Lundqvist? You know, is he the one setting the tone out there or is he taking his cues from them? You know, it almost becomes a chicken and egg question. Um, Can't put nearly the responsibility on him that we put on the rest of the players, but they're definitely, you know, you can't, you can't ignore that connection. It wasn't like that he kept them in a game that, I personally feel like they didn't show up until the second period, really, or didn't get fully clicking until the second period. Um, mm. And he kept that first period scoreless. So, but again, can we depend on him as much as we used to, to be able to pull that sort of thing off? Um, that hasn't been the case this year. So I'd be really interested. We do have two teams. We don't know who's showing up. Obviously when, the entire missing line scoring line comes back. We have a better chance of getting the good Rangers uh, on a more frequent basis. Um, but yeah, still there just seems to be this sort of mood that moves through them. Um, I'm not sure where it starts, where it ends, but it definitely manifests itself on the ice. Uh, and it definitely takes at least uh, into the second period to be sure which team you're seeing on any given night. First of all, Beth, when you went blah, 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 you sounded like the friggin' count from Sesame Street. How many goals will Kreider score? Blah, blah, one, <laughs> two. That's what I was going for. So when they score okay three goals, that. I haven't counted circular. Uh, anyway, um, I, I don't know why it's very difficult to pin down who you think the real Rangers were because, like Mike said, we knew when they were scoring four or five goals a game that that was never going to last. Um, the question then became once everybody got injured, okay, how bad is the defense now that it's out there? And the answer was pretty bad. Uh, and the question becomes, well, what is it going to look like once Zabanajad comes back, once Nash comes back, once Buchnevich comes back, who in all rights are three of the Rangers' best offensive players. And I think you could probably optimistically put Buchnevich in that category. Um, and really good two-way possession players. And you can absolutely put Pushnevich in that category. So what happens exactly? I, I think the Rangers exist in two kind of, it's like a coin. There's definitely two sides to the coin, but there's two sides to every coin. The Rangers have, when healthy, a dominant offense. The New York Rangers are a team that should scare you to play against because even on their off nights, there are players who are dangerous and can score goals. I know the Rangers have struggled immensely with all these injuries, but who wouldn't struggle when they're basically missing their entire first line? On the flip side, the Rangers maybe shouldn't scare you as much because their defense is atrocious and you can run a knife through it relatively easily. So I think the Rangers, the real Rangers, are kind of in between, to be completely honest with you. I think they're a team that's dangerous. They're a team that can definitely 
do some things. So they had the fourth-ranked power play in the league, which shocked me when I heard that because I don't think the power play has been that dominant, to be completely honest. Um, special teams has been better. Even strength play is kind of spinning. But again, you don't know what you're dealing with with Nash, Buchnevich, and, uh, and Zibanejad out. So I don't think we have a good answer to that question, unfortunately, although I think it, it was one of the better questions that was floated our way because we just don't know. And Lundqvist has been semi-human, uh, maybe getting back to form after that game against the Flyers. The, there's a lot of debate there in that regard, but the Rangers kind of seem like one of those teams who's thinking, okay, if we get hot at the right moment, we can make a run. And I don't disagree with that. But if you're going to say that, then you also need to admit that ultimately this is not a Stanley Cup contending team. This is a, a Stanley Cup hopeful team. And that will lead us to another topic that we'll get to a little bit later. But basically, how does Jeff Gordon, well, I guess we may as well do it now. How does Jeff Gordon perceive this team? Is this going to be a situation where, like last year, the Rangers were clearly not good enough and Jeff Gordon didn't upgrade the defense? He, uh, he made a stupid trade for Eric Stahl that ends up being an unmitigated disaster. Uh, does he let things ride as they are? Does he try to do something cheap, something small? I, I don't know. A lot of that depends on how Gordon looks at things and what his expectations are. And I have some thoughts on that, but I've talked long enough. So, uh, Mike, I'll throw the ball your way and let you handle that. Well, it's interesting. I just opened up like, uh, the Rangers' trade history. Um, with with Gorton at the helm, and you know, obviously there's the trade of you know Beth's son, and there's, there's a Benedict trade and the Holden trade, but those are the only trades really that have impacted this season. Um, you, know, you know, the Yandel uh, debacle in the off season was you know a, a pending USA that the Rangers traded away his rights to get something out of it. And uh, before the Andal trade, the Rangers did the, as Jed Joe mentioned, the Eric Saul experiment. And then um, the only other trade they made during the season last season was trading Emerson Edom. Um, so when you, like, putting putting all that together, it's you know, not an incredibly long track record. Obviously, there's more to it than that for Gordon. But, uh, you know, I don't think he makes trades lightly. Um, I've been really encouraged by what he's done on the waiver wire. Uh, like Pumple, we don't really get a chance to talk much about a guy like Pumple, especially with the break we took. But, you know, I don't think any – and not just because he had a hat trick. I don't think anyone can really complain about, what, you know, what Matt Pumple is in regards to – you know, a, a free acquisition and, you know, the upgrade of, you know, especially if you compare Pumple to Josh Duris, you know, a player of the Rangers lost on waivers. I mean, it's, I'd call that a win, but, uh, I, something tells me that the trade won't be on the horizon. Um, I'm sure just because the Rangers are who they are, tires will get kicked and something might get put together. Um, as the deadline approaches, but you know anything before that, I think is pretty unlikely. But and I, I know we've kind of uh, talked this point to the ground whether or not 
the Rangers will make that, you know, home run kind of a trade. But I don't think that mentality is here quite so much this year. And um, I say that largely because just when you hear the players in post-game interviews and stuff, and you know, the Rangers are still there, you know, they are where they are in the standings and they're a winning hockey team and a very good hockey team. I mean, we do. I don't think we say it often enough, but the Rangers are a very good hockey team. They just have very uh, troublesome flaws that are and the sort of flaws that mean that a team like Buffalo can overwhelm them, you know, and the defense is that bad. And, you know, when the pucks aren't going in or they hit a hot goalie, it's, it's almost, you know, it's almost a foregone conclusion. But um, I I don't really see a trade coming even with the, the issues on defense. And I know a lot of people like to point out the, you know, the, you know, the, the full stable of forwards the Rangers have, you know, we have guys in our fourth line that other teams would die to have on their third or even second line and all that. But, you know, they're not, I, Rangers aren't going to be sellers at the deadline, you know? So, uh, and we, I think we all know that, defensemen carry a really high really high trade value and teams unless they're trading a guy on an expiring contract very very rarely trade you know a defenseman approaching the deadline like a team like the blues at this point with where they are and everything they're not going to trade Devin Shattenkirk unless they get something in like a an NHL defenseman back in the deal that they can play this season because they're a good enough team this season to have a playoff run, you know, and those things need to be kept in mind. Beth Hill? Uh, I get the feeling they're probably going to do something. Um, my thought is, my constant worry is how much I'm going to hate it. Um, I mean, the thing is, we this is... When healthy, this is a definitely a cup-winning offense. Um, this is equally definitely not getting anywhere near the cup defense. So, logic, which has proved useless to us before, um, <laughs> would have to suggest that some move might be – I mean, even even just in case of injury or something like that, I mean, they have to know that one bad block shot by McDonough and they literally – it's gone. The defense is gone, you know. Um, yeah. So I would almost think that even if it's not for the reasons that we want it to be for, some move might get made. Um, but, yeah, I think – I am trying to prepare for all the ways that I'm going to hate whatever it is, unless they pull off something absolutely magical. Um, but how often does that happen? It's difficult to really sit down and try to pinpoint what you think Jeff Gordon is going to do, because you could make an argument that this team hasn't showed their true colors yet. And we actually may have just made that argument on this podcast. So last year, Jeff Gordon, there was probably a lot of pressure for him to make a move, uh, which he did with Eric Stahl. And we all know that was a mistake. Uh, Does it make more sense, (coughs) excuse me, for Jeff Gordon to sit back and say, you know what? We're going to make a hard run at Kevin Shattenkirk this summer. We, we have to feel pretty confident about getting him. We're going to have to buy out Dan Girardi. 
we're going to have to make some changes to the to the defense, maybe even get rid of Kevin Klein. There's players in Hartford that are kind of making us think, maybe, with Ryan Graves. You know, Brady Shea has kind of been up and down this year, but the Miller needs to be signed in two years. Zavanajad needs to be signed, I think, this summer. Um, there's money yeah, that needs to change hands this summer. And with the expansion drafts, the Rangers are going to have some questions there about what it is they will and will not be dealing with. So it's not fluid. But I don't see a rental coming to the table because I don't think that makes any sense. And I don't see a long-term solution coming unless the Rangers do trade for Shattenkirk because the Blues decide they need to get something for him. Now, in that regard, I would have said the Rangers would have absolutely traded Keith Yandel if they were resigned to not only not signing him, but not even negotiating with him over the summer. And they didn't. So, you never know. The Blues have said that they're more than willing to make a run with Shattenkirk, even if it means losing him for nothing over the summer. I don't know if I was Jeff Gordon if I would trade anything for Shattenkirk. A lot like Brad Richards, who actually denied a trade to the Rangers at the trade deadline because he knew he was probably going to go there over the summer and didn't want to lose assets to them. I mean, these guys think about stuff like that. So if I was Jeff Gordon, I don't think I would do anything unless there's some magical solution, some white dove fluttering above his head that fixes the defense. I I don't know. And let's give Vigneault some credit, which we have not done often on this show. Elaine Vigneault has moved Girardi down to the third pairing. It it hasn't been good, but it's, it's something. And... You know, Stahl is out, so Clendenning's getting in the lineup, and he didn't have the best of games, but he's also been sitting on the bench for a month, and Brady Shea didn't look terrible with McDonough on the top pairing. And McDonough-Klein wasn't working, and Vigneault changed it up. So there are these little glimmers of hope. They're always tethered to these kind of anchors of terror, but there are glimmers of hope there, (laughs) that the Rangers have this ideology in front of them that makes sense. And if Gordon put his shoulders up and said, you know what, we're not going to do anything at the deadline. Maybe we'll make a couple of depth moves. Maybe we'll trade a guy like Grabner or someone. Again, I doubt they will never do that with the expansion drafts, but maybe a deal presents itself that a contending team wants a guy like him for depth and they're willing to pay the moon for it. Fine, whatever. But is it that big of a deal? The only reason that would be unacceptable to some people is that that means another year of Hank's prime has been wasted away. And I understand why that might be uncomfortable, but right now it seems like Lundquist isn't exactly the apple of anybody's eye. And right or wrong, the Rangers need to worry about what they need to do to win. And if getting Shattenkirk next year and buying out Girardi, maybe you do trade Miller for Dougie Hamilton. I'm just making names up. Sammy Vatanen, um, <laughs> Slimfold, uh, but by any chance these guys are available. Maybe, maybe you do that. Maybe you do something like that. It's the most natural thing in the world. You have too much forwards. They have too much defense. You make a swap. But unless that happens, and I feel like a deal would have presented itself by now, Darren Dreger said yesterday that the Rangers were actively looking for, they were one of the teams that was actively looking for a top four defenseman. You don't just snap your fingers and find those guys. So I don't really know if there's a D upgrade out there for Jeff Gordon. I don't think there is, to be completely honest with you. I don't want a Cody Franson or a Chris Russell or, or someone like that. It doesn't make sense at all. The Rangers should not be gearing up for a cup run. They should be gearing up for a, if we make it, great. If we don't, whatever, run. And that means doing nothing. So, I mean, that's where I am on this. Um, 
Lundquist stared down the Crabs yesterday. You might look at the scoreline and think 5-2 Rangers, they played a really good game, and I think in a lot of respects they did, but Henrik Lundqvist was without a doubt the reason that game was tied in the first period. Uh, Beth, I know you have some thoughts on this. Are, are we maybe seeing Lundqvist slowly revert back to form? Has Lundqvist been in normal form or somewhat close to normal form all year, and this defense is just enough to take his Superman cape away? Or is this going to be kind of a roller coaster ebb and flow year with him? <laughs> I, you know what? I, I guess I'm. I don't feel confident going for the either or. Um, last night was amazing to watch, not only for the win but also for him. I think you know you can't not root for him to do what he can do. Um because he works so hard and because there's so much writing on it. And so I'm going to answer your question, the question in kind of a weird way. And this probably means nothing, but I don't know why I can't get the image of him knocking Kevin Klein out of the crease out of my head. Um, and I think part of it is because I feel like, you know, there had to be some point where he laid down some sort of law either for, you know, for the defense, for himself, how much he's going to be responsible for, what he's going to say, um, have noticed him talking more. And, you know, I mean, he knows what's his fault and what isn't his fault. Um, But, yeah, I don't think he's quite as mercurial as the team itself. Um, But now that's coming out of my mouth, and I'm thinking, you know what, he's almost exactly as mercurial as the team itself. I'd like to see him – things I'd like to see. Clendenning get three games. I'd like to see him at full Lundquist for a series of games. Um, And I'm hoping if that happens and he's healthy, AV won't break it up too much by putting Ronta in and making him lose momentum. Um, I don't know. But, yeah, I just – I sort (laughs) – it's probably just putting things together that we've noticed. But, yeah, frustration – our frustration with Klein this year – uh, really for me was sort of summed up in uh, I'm sure he's done it before, but I don't think I've ever seen him flatten one of his own players like that. And it had to happen. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? I do. Okay. This yeah. is not like when um, you called Lundquist Lunkin and we had no idea what was going on. Um, or when you said <laughs> butter off the duck. This is not like that at all. We both know what you're talking about. Yeah. And you know, it's also, I mentioned this in my recap too, but I think it was, you know, remember that Lundqvist himself in the postgame said he didn't know whether the Rangers were a good team or not. Um, so, you know, if he doesn't know, I think we'd be hard-pressed to make a decision one way or another because he, more than anybody, should probably know. Mike? Uh, well, Beth was talking like I... You know, I just did a quick cursory look at Hank's numbers, and, you know, we're, I think on this podcast, we're very quick to defend Hank because, you know, you know he is who he is. Um, and there's, I don't think there's any mystery about what he's meant to this team. But, like Beth has, like Beth said, you know, Hank knows when he's, you know, he's not been good enough. 
and he knows the things that are his fault. And I think a lot of the frustration this year probably comes from the fact that, you know, he hasn't had, you know, the greatest year in the world. And I think that's something that everyone knows now. Um, You know, if you compare, you know, the most basic, you know, counting stats just to goals against average, you know, the goals against average at this point is almost identical to what what he finished last season with. And, you know, his save percentage is, you know, 0.07 down. You know, it's a pretty... A pretty big deal, and the difference between being a you know a 9.20 save percentage goaltender and a 9.13 save percentage goaltender is a big deal. But you know, at the end of the day, he's on pace to win, you know, just as many if not more games, and you know, trying to very quickly do you know just the basic goals against um, math, and unsurprisingly, I was unable to to do that before Beth's finished because math is very hard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he's he's not exactly been the player that the Rangers have needed him to be. And we're really quick to point out, you know, well, oh, you know, the defense has been has been crapped and all that. But um, I, well, I, I just did it, the math. Uh, in the first, you know, 28 games, uh, last year, um, he allowed 66 goals in those games, and in 28 games this year, he's allowed 65 goals. So, you know, wow. Joe says all the time, you know, how Hank is known for kind of having having those slow, you know, that slow start, and then he kind of, you know, kicks into gear. And it is something that we're waiting for is for Hank to, you know, to get into gear, and also, frankly, to have the games that are kind of supposed to be slam dunks, like, you know, nothing against the Sabres, but, you know, that, that's a team that you see them on the schedule and whether or not they're, you know, they've obviously made some, some serious strides. You know, they're a team that the Rangers should be beating. And, you know, the, the, much like they, the way they played against the Avalanche, that's the way we want to see the Rangers play against teams that they should be beating. You know, the offense looks, you know, bananas, and you know the goaltending is good enough and all that stuff. But it's definitely something worth keeping an eye on because I think the concerns about Hank are fair. It's, it's hard for people to, you know, pinpoint mistakes made by the defense or shortcomings on defense or understand that the Rangers don't have far too many shots at even strength. And they see the Rangers have a great penalty kill. And, you know, they wonder, you know, oh, the penalty killer is doing a good job. Everyone always forgets the most important penalty killer is the guy in the crease. But, you know, it's it's very easy for fans to, you know, to look at Hank and, you know, see when the Rangers last three or four goals and wonder what's what's wrong with Hank. But you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with with him. And as you know, 34 years old now, maybe the older he gets, maybe that that you know the proverbial switch gets flipped a little bit later every year. I don't know. You know, I haven't been able to sink my teeth into you know the where the data is trending on that. But it's it's really important for this team because you know we've. We talk so much about, you know, oh, well, the crabs and Hank and stuff, but 
I get it. I do understand the concerns about Hank. I mean, well, what do you think? What do you think in terms of how Hank has been this year, Joe? I think a very good word for it was what Beth said is just mercurial. Uh, I did that. I that was like, mine. <clears throat> that was yours. He gave you credit. You don't have to jump in like that, you animal. Um, I butted the duck. Uh, I I think Lundquist is unfortunately well, a victim. I think he's a victim of his own brilliance, to be honest with you, because we have been spoiled to the point where we people truly feel like the Henrik Lundqvist that is averaging a, a 2.29 goals against average and a, a 9.20 save percentage in his career, who will win 400 games this year, who is the winningest goaltender, European-born goaltender in NHL history, that those things are normal. And they're not normal. So when Lundqvist floats down to earth and puts up numbers that are average – People say he sucks. Well, he doesn't suck. This is Lundqvist's average. And again, you're talking about a team that has a, a putrid defense that I may be able to go out there on skates and play defense, and it might not be that much worse. It's, it's kind of like that. So I get Snow Angel with the best of them. I'll just lay on the blue line and just wait for people to come by me and then swap them with my stick. It'll be great. Um, I just don't know. At what point do people realize that Lundqvist has completely revolutionized the way that we think about goaltenders in New York in that you don't think about goaltenders in New York. You take Lundqvist for granted. You take those saves for granted to the point where you don't even think about them. And then when those pucks go in, you turn around and you go, oh, wait a minute, what was that? And then what happens? And that's sort of where we are. I don't know if Lundqvist is going to be able to return to where he's been in the past. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't. I think some of the most elite goaltenders in the NHL, the Patrick Waz, the Martin Brodeurs, they were able to keep up a relatively elite level of play deep into their career before they became good, where other goalies mm. would totally fall off the face of the earth. And that's what I'm hoping the Rangers are going to do with Lundqvist. That's what I'm hoping Lundqvist is going to do. I, I hope there's going to be that bounce back, but I don't know if that's possible yeah. with this defense. I really don't. You look at the body of work that Lundqvist has put together for his career. You look at the things that he's done, and you have to marvel at it. There have been years here where he was quite simply one of the greatest goaltenders on the planet, if not the greatest goaltender on the planet. And you get spoiled by that. You really do. And it's ridiculous. Outside of the lockout year, he has never won less than 30 games, ever. I, I don't know what he has to do. So has he been good enough this year in a vacuum? Yes. The actual answer is no, because the defense needs him to be perfect. And that's not fair either, but that's where we're at. And that was what I was talking about with Ryan McDonough. Ryan McDonough has not had a good week at all. He's been actually kind of downright awful outside of the Flyers game last night. And he needs to be perfect because the Rangers don't have a defense to rely on anyone else. And is that fair? It is absolutely not fair, but it's the reality of the situation. Well, let me, let me, let me ask, let me ask you this, uh, just to, to build on that, you know, cause you know, we, we talk so often about, you know, where the defense is and, and, 
especially you know now in the context of Lundqvist here and where he's going, where would you put the Rangers' defense? You know, in a the most basic way, like ranking it against you know the rest of the league. Would you call it you know an average defense, a bad defense, or you know like a tire fire defense? You know, where where would you put it? I would say, with confidence, a bottom third defense, if not like a bottom five defense. I think they easily yeah, that's have. Where I, am too. Uh, I think they're easily one of the. If you take the teams and you spread them out, you know you have your top ten, then ten through twenty. The Rangers are in the twenty-one to thirty range, and they very well could be twenty-six, twenty-seven, twenty-eighth worst. I. I my guess is bottom five defense, but I think you can make an argument that if everything is clicking, they're a, a bottom third defense. But I would say I'd say bottom five. Beth? Yeah, uh, I'd say definitely bottom third. And uh, here I am again being a harbinger of doom. Anything happened to McDonough, bottom three. <laughs> and I mean, anything happens to McDonough, seriously, worst defense in the league. Honestly, not a joke, not a game, not an exaggeration. If anything happens to McDonough, nope. And you and know, so that's two—that's two thirds of our, you know, a hockey team that you have on the ice at a given time that can be put out of commission with just one injury. You know, I mean, we can't have a defense that's relying so much on one person. We can't have, well, two people, Lundqvist and McDonough, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, that's crazy. It's, it's crazy to think about because there's no – I'm trying to think of a terrible analogy because I always make terrible analogies. And <laughs> yeah, you do. It's, it's like living in a house that's basic, that has no insulation and there's, like, holes in the wall and stuff, and then you just remove all the doors and windows. That's what it's like if you, if you take McDonough out. There is no safety net. You'd have to – Clendenning would be playing every day, which is fine. Uh, assume Stahl is healthy in this, in this scenario. So you have Klein, Shea, Stahl, and Girardi as your top four. And then you have um, Clendenning and – who am I – oh, no, I'm sorry. Holden, Klein, Stahl, Girardi in your top four. And then you have Shea and uh, – you have Shea and – Clendenning in your your bottom pairing, and I I don't see any way that that's not basically a close your eyes and don't watch the game because you're going to be terrified. That's that's kind of easily 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 the worst defense in the league. Um, it, since we're kind of talking about this realm of like what things would look like, one of the other questions that I wanted to get to asked by Michael Silvers. Um, actually, before we do that, I just want to uh, say, I forgot to tell you guys that, well, I did say that we were obviously donating this to Patreon. Thank you guys so much for donating. Anthony Viola, Dan Lynch, Matt Bader, Eric Cohn, Daniel DeJunes, Michael Silvers, who we're going to talk to this question next, uh, Trevor Kempner, Thomas Osa, Alexander Thornton, Nicholas Forlenza, and Dan Carosi. Uh Thank you guys for donating. We really appreciate it. You guys are the best. And you can as we're in your ear. Um, when Nash, Zibanejad, and Buchnevich return, obviously that's going to make a big difference to the Rangers' defense as a whole because they're really good at possessing the puck, and the more you're on offense, the less you're on defense. What do we think the lines are going to look like? Do we think Vigneault is going to go back to 
Zabanajad, Buchnevich, Kreider? Do we think he's going to kind of – it looks like Miller, Hayes, and Grabner have done some really good things together. Does he break that up? Nash, Stepan, Zuccarello was a line at some point. What, what do you think they're doing, Mike? Well, uh, actually, in the piece that's going up tomorrow, I kind of dig into the numbers on that uh, that Miller Hayes Grabner line. And, dig into the yeah. numbers. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's, it's interesting because possession-wise, it's not good, but there's a lot more going on there, and you know their production. Forget the the number I found. It's it's pretty wacky. I think it's that those three forwards at even strength. That line is responsible for 30 of the Rangers' 89 even strength goals this year. And that's, you know, quote-unquote, the third line. You know, it's pretty wacky. It's a, it's a ton of goals from from guys who, you know, obviously that's talking about even strengths, but of those three guys, Hayes is the one who gets the most power play ice time per game, and he gets the ninth most of among Rangers forwards and Grabner right now, his, his average on the year is two seconds average of power play ice time per game. Um, but when I was looking at all the, all the lines in the, the, the counting stats article I wrote the other day that no one, no one read. Um, <laughs> timing. You can't uh, post an article yeah. an hour before the game starts. That's your fault. Well, Joe, I only have so much time, and How if many I waited, times then I all the work, I would, all the numbers and data would be a day, a day late and wrong, wouldn't they? Well, you so know wait. what? This is what happens. This is this, when you're riding the hot butter duck, you, you miss out on life. <laughs> Sometimes you fall and you squeak off. Yeah, not good. Anyway, back so to I the thing. Continue. I apologize um, for taking the number. Yeah. Anyway, what was the thing? I want to see. Zabinajad, Kreider, and Zook back together only because, you know, I forgot, uh, it's it's on the banter right now. It's something like checking at the Rangers at the midway point or whatever the hell I titled it. Not very good at titles, people. Um, but you look at uh, their PDO was, like, atrociously bad. They were, like, the most unlucky line in the world. And yet, I think they were either the best or second-best possession line the Rangers have had this year. And granted, they didn't have, you know, an extremely big sample size compared to, you know, players and lines that have been together, you know, for 30 or 40 games this year. But that line, I know it's hard for us to remember, but the season started, that line was just nuts. I mean, it was really something to behold. And I would like to see that back together again. Um, I think it's, to put Grabner on the fourth line would feels like it would be criminal at this point, but you know, where the hell would you put Buchnevich now? If if the entire lineup's healthy, you know, where where do you put a guy like Buch? And obviously you're not putting Nash, you know, in the bottom six. So it is a fun question to ask. You know, it's a problem I can't wait for this team to have. But, you know and you know, we I can quietly praise you know, Pumple, and we can be really content and happy about how Mike Krivik is playing, especially, and you know, even Lindbergh, but these, not the guys we want in the lineup. We, we want to see, you know, the top, you know, the top prospects 
the Rangers have, and right now that is remains, in my opinion, Bruchnevich. He's the guy who I think has a much higher ceiling than VZ, and um, we should also probably talk about VZ at some point, right? Anyway, uh, yeah, I want to see that line back together. Um, I also don't necessarily want to take apart the Stefan line right now um, because, and that's a bit of a conflict because in the last 10 games, Stefan has been playing with Kreider and Zuccarello. So if you plug Zabinijad in there, that means you have to put Stefan with Nash and, I don't know, Beasy, I guess. So, yeah. What do you think, Beth? (laughs) I think this is a much more fun game than the who do we line up? <laughs> what are the deep pairs if McDonough gets hit by a bus? Um, I like this oh game much God. better. It doesn't but... have to be that dark. It could have been like a broken toe <laughs> hit by a bus. You I could break a toe if you um, hit by a bus. Yeah, you break a lot yeah. of things. <laughs> Including like I wish your... no ill. Well, no, no you absolutely whatsoever. not. Quite we wouldn't opposite. wish ill on anyone anyway, but... God, those torch-bearing mobs that are running around in Central Avenue, they're going to come after you next. Wait, who's coming after me? The mobs. Are they the, the people with the pitchforks who have been wandering yes. around since like Thanksgiving yeah, that you sent out? I told yeah. them that we all lived in the trees and they ran to the trees. I don't know what that means. Yeah, I was Not always a little people. hazy on what happened there. Um, Brad people, tree people. All right, so my thoughts on lines. Two thoughts on lines, which are not really going to settle anything. One is, yeah, it's really hard to imagine never seeing that KGB line together again. Um, that was just a joy to watch, and who knows if it was because Kreider was the only person uh, Ushnevich could understand at that point. Um, but it was, I would really like to have a couple more opportunities to see that. Although, yeah, what do you do then breaking up this line? Um, step on Zuke and Kreider that's doing so well right now. The other thing, though, that I'm really looking forward to when everyone's healthy is rolling four lines that, in which the fourth line is not going to be a place of demotion the way it was for JT Miller recently. Um, yeah. I don't like it when AV can do that. People say it works. I don't... Anyway, I don't think it's a good way to set up lines, basically. <laughs> um you know, regardless of the mental effect it has on the demoted player. But I just, I miss our conversations at the beginning of the season, our conversations, the commentary, um, the Rangers are rolling four scoring lines. And that's, you know, that's what I want the conversation to be again, no matter what happens, is that every line is some, has some sort of lethal combination to it. That's going to mess with whoever they're facing to the point where they don't know who to put their best pair out against on any given night. Which is where the Rangers excelled, you know, during this beginning portion of the season. You did not know who you could possibly cover when you had that many players going up against it. And and there are a couple of people taking stabs at this in the chat room, but uh, I would keep the KZB line together, Kreider, Zibanejad, Buchnevich. You know, uh, I'd probably do Nash, Stepan, Zuccarello. I'd keep Miller, Hayes, and Grabner together. And then I'd have Peary, Fast, and Zuccarello, or uh, VC, Or Peary, 
Peary Limburg fast VC Pumple. I mean, they'd all be on the fourth line at that point. So you're definitely playing VC, and then from there you can take your picks. Yeah, you could just literally just tie them together and throw them out onto the ice. Roll five D, dress their roll. Roll. You connect them by their. You just tie ropes around them, and then it's just a mass of players just running around. Uh, and that would be the best fourth line of all time because no one could get by it. That, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I, the Rangers have enough talent that you have two or three players who are everyday players on this team with the injuries who don't necessarily not deserve to be there, who would be totally and completely cast aside once everybody's healthy, which is why I think the Rangers do have the pieces, like we've talked about, to make a deep playoff run so long as the defense isn't kind of dragging them down. I think uh, there's a lot to digest there. It's very difficult to dig in and say, okay, we're going to do X, Y, and Z when you just don't know what, what's happening. Well, Joe, let me ask you this. Who would you rather have in the lineup if everyone's healthy? Yes, Fast or Pumple? Or Krivik, for that matter. You know, I'm glad you brought up Rivik because Rivik has been one of the Rangers' best possession players while he's played, and he has absolutely proven that he deserves to be on the fourth line. I think the answer to your question is based on what type of a lineup would you like to have. Do you want to have a pure skill lineup, or do you want to have a lineup with a little bit of defensive wherewithal? Fast for the latter, um, Pumple for the former, but I think Fast is just too valuable as a defensive forward to not have him in the lineup. And I think if you keep Peary in the lineup, Peary and Pumple are basically the same player in my eyes. So uh, that's kind of where I sit on that one. I think it's a good question if, if it's worth anything, that it's a tough question to answer. Uh, I was going to, I thought you were going to say fast and Lindbergh because Lindbergh hasn't been. I'm, 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 I'm bored with you. I'm, I'm done. I don't want to hear you talk anymore. <laughs> Beth, who do you think? This is a hurtful podcast hosted by Michael Murphy. <laughs> who attacks friends and co-hosts for no reason. What's the question about? I would tell uh, you, but I'm not allowed to talk anymore. He's bored with me. Like I'm and yet somehow here you are. Um, what was the question? Oh, team effort, is it? Jesper, Pumple, or Krivik? Or, or uh, fuck it, Lindbergh. No, you can't add Lindbergh. I added Lindbergh, and then you yelled at me. Well, that's fair. Lindbergh is off the table. I have not noticed Lindbergh when he's been there. I can't. I I have no trouble. I I mean I this you know he had such a great start with the team, but I just yeah he's I'm knocking him off the list. Um, uh, poor Oscar Lindbergh. I know. Faust has is just he isn't getting much done point wise, but he's such a beast. Um. On the board, he's gonna, on the board he's, check. He will finish with the same amount of points as he did last year. He, I think he is at 15 through 41. The last year he had 10 goals, and he's at three right now. But as Joe said, his real value is away from the puck. I mean, yeah. he was, uh, you know, he was atrocious on the kill last year, and that was something a lot of people pointed out. But he's one of those guys, to me, and we always point out, like, oh, why the hell is A.B. putting him in the top six when – Vigneault wants to just, you know, shake things up, put a bunch of coins in a Band-Aid tin and rattle it to scare away the neighborhood dog. But, you know, Jesper is 
I, I have I no don't. recollection of where that sentence started, by the way. There is a scary dog that was, that was next to a neighbor to my cousin's house. And the way that we scared it away, it was like that family gave us this. Remember when Band-Aids came in a tin? Yep. You mean in the so like you 60s? put a bunch of no, Joe. In uh, 1986 birth, so you know that was what early 90s, baby. Am I the youngest one on this but, podcast? Yeah, it explains a lot okay. of things. Anyway, I know I'm not. So yeah, go on. There's the way to scare away this dog. It was like a Saint Bernard, and you know when it walked by, like its spine was at like my chin level. And, you know, it was an aggressive dog. It knocked people down. So whenever we would play outside in my cousin's yard, we would all carry around, like, this goddamn, like, safety Band-Aid tin filled with pennies. <laughs> anyway, back to Matt Pumple. Um, Is this why you want to throw puppies? Is this why you want to toss puppies? Because of that St. Bernard? I want to throw puppies because they're aerodynamic. It's a completely different thing. Uh, Pumple could... Mike is Mike's on the pumple train, and maybe maybe I'm goofy and I just want that fourth line that you know has Peary and Pumple on it, um, you know like uh, an un an unreasonable amount of offensive upside with no with like no care for defense. But the other thing that I think to keep in mind when we play the you know projecting the roster, you know and building the lines is do we really want a fourth line? that has no defensive upside when this team, you know, Joe said, oh, you know, Vino, Girardi on the third pair. Girardi played 23 freaking minutes against the Flyers. The only D who got more was McDonough. Girardi was second in ice time. Like, uh, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, that's just that's I mean, the way it, shows, it is. But it does. 13 minutes, you know, and... Well, why would so, you play him? Know. He's a liability. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> I, I'm not sure who I'd want. I'm still, I'm really, I'm just focused on that dog from my childhood. Because at one point <laughs> he walked right past me, and it, it haunted my, haunted my dreams ever since. Um, <laughs> I can just imagine all of you like hanging out at the on the lawn with your friggin' yeah. your pennies, and then all of you shaking them, screaming <laughs> to make the dog run away. Yeah. My cousins had a so really long driveway, and we would take, like... the dog gave you the trick? What? Did, did the neighbor who owned the dog give you the penny trick? Yeah. They, they gave it to my aunt, and my aunt handed it down to us. That's ridiculous. That they're like, oh, we know they're our dog like, is... By the way, the dog is kind of dangerous. Here's, here's your children, <laughs> unsupervised children. Here's some pennies. And I'm going to allow the dog to, to roam. By <laughs> and the dog will roam free. Yeah. Best of luck. Remember to cover your neck and throat if you get knocked down. Like your carotid artery above all else. There's a predator and it will have an instinct. Um, yeah. Oh, Jesus, Mike, that's the funniest thing I've heard. <laughs> we have lost oh, Joe. Oh, you really have? But, you know, do know back when we driving. Young, innocent Mike helplessly shaking the pennies as the dog shakes them down. <laughs> oh, and God. becoming a puppy thrower as a result. Yeah, that's, it all makes sense now. 
Do you remember that red car that everyone had? It was a little Sykes car. It was a red car with like a yellow roof. Um, the little toy plastic thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Everyone yeah. had that. Yeah, we would get those and like ride them down to Bourbon, New Jersey. So my cousins had a really long driveway on an incline. And so, you know, you would go down it in this car that was not designed for this at all. But when you were pushing it back up the hill, there was always the risk of a dog. So you always had the pennies on you. That's just the way life was. That's just the way life was. You, sir, you are. You are a gift. Uh, you it's a very Christmas eyes. story sort of vignette there. Yeah, it is. Fear of the dog. <laughs> Uh, what was I going to say? I had something to say. Unless, Beth, were you speaking? Were you going to speak? I can't remember. Very oh. Kovic, ladies and gentlemen. He only has Mer- two assists. I like Kovic. I think he's been good. His underlining possession numbers are insane. He's good Wait, things who? happen Rivik. Rivik. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think he's a guy who... Uh, he's definitely a guy who's been knocking on the door, right? for the past two or three years to really come out and make an impact. And he's been one of the elder statesmen in Hartford and him getting this opportunity is the worst thing in the world. And here's the thing. If the Rangers do decide, and Mike, you made what, what I think is the point of the podcast point for you, Mike, the podcast is that if the Rangers defense is this bad, maybe they should move away from a pure skill lineup and add a fourth line with actual defensive talent to cover that up. And if Rivik and Fast and VC make up that line, not that VC is in any way that type of player, I don't think his underlying possession numbers are good at all. Um, but you can't not keep him in the lineup. So if you have to swap Grabner for him and put Grabner on the fourth line and put VC on the third line with Miller and Hayes, fine. Then you're talking about guys like Peary and Pumple who are odd men out, Lindbergh, odd man out, fast, odd man out, one of them somewhere, you know, depending on how you put the lines together. Do the Rangers try to recoup some assets for those players? Uh, at the trade deadline, a team may pay a pretty penny for a guy like Peary because he's not a true rental. He's a restricted free agent. Oscar yeah. Lindbergh has a lot of value to him. Will someone pay for a guy like that to add for a playoff run? You need guys like that. And if Michael Grabner wasn't so damn attractive in terms of the points that he's putting up and the goals that he's scoring, even though he went through that cold spell, I think the Rangers might think about trading him too, especially if they're going to let one of those guys go in expansion. I would not keep Grabner this summer if you're going to expose him in the draft because you don't know if he's coming back. Right now, everybody thinks it's going to be Ronta that's gone. I think Grabner might be, you know, who knows? You don't know, but it's a risk. It's a big risk to take. And the goalie thing is so hard. It's, it, 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 it expansion is teams always. Impossible. Yeah, goalies. Expansion teams always go nuts for goalies, and you know it. And it happens for a good reason. The the Golden Knights or whatever the hell they're going to end up being called. You know they, they have the, the advantage of not. They have, they have the advantage of not competing with anyone in the expansion draft. You know they're not. You know they're. The last time we've had expansion drafts, you know, we've seen two teams come in at once. And, you know, I was looking at the history of of the Rangers and expansion drafts and the sort of players they lost and all that. But uh, it's it's a really interesting thing because so many people will tell you, oh, 
Fleury, Mark Andre Fleury. And then they'll say, no, like, no, it'll be Ranta, and it'll be this guy, it'll be that guy. And, you know, there's, there's about 30 different goalies that people are convinced are going to end up on the Golden Knights. And that's because, you know, that's, teams want players like that. But the other thing is, Ranta is a really low cap hit goalie, and the Golden Knights will have to get to the cap floor. And they're also not going to want to be a team that, you know, reaches for guys who are grossly overpaid forwards, you know, who, you know, who, who are, they will go for guys who have expiring contracts, but, you know, there's no real downside, but the whole other podcast to get into all this stuff. Sorry. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Someone did want to talk about this, but I think it's a little yeah. early to kind of get into this type of conversation. Yeah. Um, but it's a, a lot of people think, oh, Girardi will get taken because they need to reach the cap floor. There, there's plenty of crap that's going to be out there that's expensive yeah, and better than that's Girardi. the thing. It depends on where gonna, the Golden Knights yeah. want to save their money or, or put their money. But don't forget, too, these guys have to sell tickets. And as much as Ronta might be the smarter decision, say they could get a guy like Flurry, that's the flashier. Sell tickets. Yeah, and in the, Stanley in, Cup. Exactly. You're not winning the Stanley Cup next year. You're not winning the Stanley Cup the year after that. You're not putting together a powerhouse. I think it's going to be a mixture of young players that they can build around and mediocre players to fill some holes and the biggest name players that they can get. And uh, that's unfortunately the way that it is for an expansion team. They, they get a top, I think yeah. a lottery pick the first four years they're guaranteed. It's a slow build. It's a slow burn as they say. Um, so I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if Ron is attractive. I don't know if Grabner's attractive because Grabner's only going to be there for a year. And, and who's to say I he's going to stick around? Ron is very attractive. He's very attractive. Uh, <laughs> as a man, I think he is attractive. I, I, I saw his jersey that, at the NHL store the other day. Well, he's the next Lundquist, haven't you heard? Um, oh, is he? Yeah. I, I just think yeah. I would assume if I was putting the Vegas team together – if I was looking at Ronta, Grabner, Lindbergh fast, I would be much more inclined to pick Lindbergh or fast unless I needed a goaltender. Because Grabner, you're getting one year out of. Uh, Lindbergh and fast, you can at least build around. They're restricted free agents. You can kind of, you can throw them in the mix. Um, well, this was good. I think we covered a lot of good things. So now we have, there were a couple of things that people wanted to talk about that we could do very quickly because I thought it was funny. Um, and I've actually, this is, what is the appropriate number of Podvin sucks whistles a game at Madison Square Garden? Because this drives me crazy because the Rangers will be losing 5 nothing and we'll do like six of them in a row, and it pisses me off. I think yeah, you, get you, one. you get one, and the Rangers, it has to be in a like, critical moment of the game. And then, if you don't follow the rules, you get shot with the T-shirt cannon <laughs> in the stomach so that it knocks the wind out of you and you can't whistle. But not That's with a T-shirt, with something else. You shouldn't get a T-shirt. Well, like a tennis ball or something. So one time I caught one of those T-shirts, and I put it through the wash, and it eviscerated it. Not like, oh, it ripped it into a couple of pieces. The T-shirt did not come out of the <laughs> washing machine. It just disappeared. As if it was made of, like, salt, and it dissolved in the water. So maybe it could be one of those T-shirts that they just, you know, it's rough like sandpaper and then it just disappears. But that's my yeah. rule. You get one. You get one. Everybody gets one. 
And by everybody, I mean if someone does it at the appropriate moment, none of you get anything. Because if every well, person got one, thousand two hundred, it would be ridiculous. It's the it's the irritation or or inappropriateness of when it, it's not a rallying cheer, okay? And it seems always seems sort of off balance to point out someone else sucking in jest or not right after we have done something that sucks or right after the Rangers on the ice in front of us have done something that sucks. It does not seem like Excellent a time point. to uh, be focusing on the suckage of others. Um, Michael. Oh, I'm sorry. Beth has more. It's all about the timing. It's all about the timing. I think you're right. Ooh, that feels good. Mike told me that I was boring. You at least told me I was right. Mike? I think that the Potvin sucks chant really has to stop in, this, in general. Oh, um, my goodness. A different direction. I I did, back when I did cartoons for the banter, I, I did a cartoon about it um, just because it's one of those things, and I know I'm, you know, Joe and I are not that different in, in age. You know, Beth is is like as old as the Sphinx, really. But, uh, you know, we come from... Oh, my. <laughs> I went after Joe, Beth. I had to go after you at some point. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. And he, he talked Prickly about the fact tonight, that, you were, Mike Murphy. that you were as old as Egyptian artifacts. The Sphinx, I believe. Yes. yes. Yeah, the Sphinx. It was a, a, a tasteful historical reference. I thought you'd appreciate it. That was wrong. Um, but uh, <laughs> the pop and sex chant is Fans who chanted now didn't grow up watching Potvin. Uh, they also couldn't tell you that, as a defenseman, he's a couple points shy of being a point-per-game player. And he, he's in the Hall of Fame. He has over 1,000 points. Um, and he's one of the greatest defensemen to ever play the game. I get the whole Potvin sucks chant. Um, but like Beth said, let's... It's a negative thing. It's not a nice thing. It's not a rallying call. It, it's it's nasty. It's not needed. It's like saying to someone you you care about very much that they're as old as a, a crumbling statue in Egypt. It's not a nice thing to do. So they're a bore. Oh, let's be real though. Um, I just I I don't. It's one of those. There's a lot of Rangers traditions that I don't get, and there's a lot more horrible ones that are phased out. Uh, like the really insensitive and horrible chief thing, um, the you know the homophobic chant that was used to be attached to Dancing Larry and all that stuff. By the way, Dancing Larry, that's that's got to stop. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but I, I I'm one of those you know I have social anxiety disorder. I don't like seeing you know bald men dancing and then appear in you know, Chrysler commercials or whatever the hell he was in. Like, I don't I don't understand that. And I also, you know, when people do the pop and sucks chant, like I, I want to understand why people do it other than tradition. Tradition is not a good reason to do pretty much everything. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I don't know. I I can, I'm gonna, you know when I like it? I like hearing it at other arenas. I like being able to hear it in the background. At... Well, because then it is a rallying call. It's like hearing yeah. the Let's Go Rangers chant in Florida. It's fun. It's like it's kooky, and it's especially good in 
Florida because I think Potvin is the color guy for the Panthers. Yeah. Or he used yeah. to be. I don't know. Um, um, so that's, that's precious. But I, I have that. The garden, <laughs> it, we don't need it. And I'm sorry, Vanessa, about the same thing. I love you so much. I have. So much more no, than you. you it's okay. Know. I love you too. You'll have to speak up. She can't hear you. Um, I'm a little I, younger than a Sphinx, though. The Sphinx is no trouble, though, not the year. And I, I have, have a, a personal attachment to Podvin Sucks. And the personal attachment is that was the first time I ever swore in front of my father was during the Podvin that's Sucks. Not a, that's not a profanity. I'm just, I'm just, well, Sucks, when I was a kid, Sucks was a, was a curse. Now, oh. because of my relationship with you, I, I've been opened up to a world of swears and curses that would make a, a sailor blush. A cursing sailor would blush at the things that you say, Michael. But at the time, that was the first time that I ever did it. I was like, I don't know, I want to say 10 years old. That was the first time that I cursed in front of my parents and didn't get in trouble. You were saying like, one time at 10 years old? Well, as a, one time I saved uh, a like homework assignment that I didn't want to do on the computer and I used the F word in it and my mother found it and she went crazy. Um, Why did you use yeah, the F word in your homework? Because I'm an idiot. I'm not smart. You think any of this comes from In your homework smart? or in the name of the file? In the name of the file. Okay, that makes more sense. But still. So were you one of those kids who never ate candy and like had little rosy cheeks and got really excited and went to bed at 8 p.m.? No, I, I ate all the candy possible. In fact, I, I remember taking money out of my mother's change drawer to go buy candy. I used to have to go to Extra Help because I was an idiot, and I would go to the <laughs> gas station instead to buy candy. Seriously. So if you ever wonder why my writing is so terrible and why Beth wants to kill herself when she edits yeah, my columns, it's because I was okay. in the gas station buying Band-Aids that were not in aluminum containers and candy to protect myself. That's why. Aw, Joe. <laughs> Poor Joe. We're we're really we're really getting some dirty laundry out here tonight. Yeah, this, this is fun. Good. I like childhood stories though. Beth, tell us something horrible that happened when you were young. Yeah, Mike told his story about the dogs. I told you my story about going to get <laughs> getting extra help. What is your story? With a duck I, I need a f- those came up organically though. I can't just like start spinning stories. When did you about start my, cursing? Jeff? About when my childhood as a young sphinx. <laughs> when did you curse in front of your parents for the first time? Uh, when I told them that I did not have the damn library book that the library said I lost. And we were out on the front porch at my house. It was one of those wraparound porches, and I can still remember them raising their eyebrows and looking at each other. Could you imagine a young probably, that is, that is the very most adorable curse ever. I don't have the, I damn, don't have the damn library book. Yeah, oh of course oh. it's about a well, library book because I'm a dork. Yeah, I had four older brothers, so I was cursing at like five years old. So. Well then. It's just one of those things. Um. I will tell you, though, from the opposite perspective, uh, after they turned... Um, after they turned 12, when they got to middle school, I, my uh, daughters were allowed to choose a swear word per year that they were allowed. Oh, to add, add to the lexicon? So, yes, exactly. At will, they could use oh, as much wow. as, as much as they wanted? Um, yes, once that was, um, once was, that was done. Could it be any word? Um, 
you know what? At that point, they, you know, a woman doesn't really want the worst of the words. Um, but oddly, neither of them chose the uh, F word until I feel like they were, you know, qualified to use it. Um, one of them went with dillweed, which I thought was a very strange choice. Dillweed? Yes. I like that. I was like, that's really not going to come up that much. What is growing up in that Dillweed. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry I said that, Mom. Please don't hate me. An yeah, undesirable so plant, dillweed. You can find dillweed in the spice cabinet. <laughs> I'm going to Google dillweed. You guys keep talking. Anyway, uh, point being that I, I liked that method. I hope they well, pass it on to their own children. The other funny question that was asked that I, I thought was amusing, and I'll try to get some of these in because I think the podcast is at its best when we're out of our minds. Is Henrik Lundqvist's good looks demoralizing for male Rangers fans? And I think my answer is yes, because my wife is a big Rangers fan now. And how do I compete with that? I don't understand. My face doesn't look like that. My hair doesn't look like that. I don't look like that. It upsets me. And that's what I want to say. It's not good. It's not good at all. Uh, Lundquist has a twin brother who's equally good looking. He has a sister who I think Hank definitely got the looks in the family. She, she doesn't have their like facial structure. Uh, if that makes sense, she, she looks like you have a man's facial structure. Well, no, but like, you know how you can kind of, you can kind of see the features, maybe a little bit more delicate features. Um, maybe I'm talking myself. Does a woman have to have delicate, delicate features for you, Joe? Well, Lundquist's features (laughs) are delicate. So yes. He's the perfect man. Did you just call Lundquist a woman? I did not. But he does No, he did not. When I got credentialed to go to the Winter Classic uh, by the NHL, not by the Rangers. um, That won't happen again. I went went and Lundquist was... So you, you, you went into the locker room and there was a scrum and Lundquist did the post-game interview for everybody in, uh, like, it was like a, a foyer almost. And 10 minutes and, like, 15 seconds from the end of the game, he was showered and, like, perfectly put together in a three-piece suit at the podium. It was ridiculous. McDonough, like, still had his pads on and Lundquist was ready to go. So there's that. Michael, did you find what you needed? Yeah, Billy. <laughs> what is he looking already, for? I've already navigated away from it. It pretty much just means you're a dork. It's like the most adorable and toothless insult. God, I am using that on the next podcast. You're a dillweed. It's very there is a point 90. I feel. I feel as the as the sole representative here who is attracted to men. I believe. I Sorry, do feel yet. that as stunning as Lundquist is, if you asked uh, street women, gay men, bi men, whatever, which ranger they would put on your their laminated lists, uh, to use an outdated reference from my Sphinx days, um, probably it would be Lundquist far less than most people think. I think. Well, who would be the top of the list? Uh, the younger guys are coming up there, you know? Who is? The younger guys. Which younger guy? 
Well, you know, Chris Kreider did that whole modeling thing of the athletic wear. That was quite a big hit. This feels um, like an adorable sleepover is where the counter my wife on this. And the other one, yeah, I mean, ask your uh, lady friends because um, that, that and the other watching. ones are too young for me to to comment on because that, oh, that I'm very curious. Illegal you there. They're not twelve. <laughs> What are you, insane? Illegal. <laughs> anyway, the point, the point stands is that I think that the, the, the attractiveness is spread around more the, the team more than you think it is. So my I wife said, so. and I'm, I'm going to quote the whole thing in the first part. Okay. Excuse me. She likes older men. I don't know what that means. I'm going to pretend that I didn't hear that. So she's, That's good news she's for you going, in a couple of years. She's going with Nash or Lundquist. And she said the I rest of the that. children, unlike Beth, who said that it was illegal, which, again, I'm a little surprised. But, all right, Nash or Lundquist, Nash, that's fine. I think Nash, Nash is a... Nash makes sense to me. Nash is a good-looking guy from the sense of, like, uh, kind of like a goofy guy, like Eli Manning. My wife thinks Eli Manning is a good-looking guy. I think Eli Manning is not at all. But it's like a goofy... No, oh, Eli Manning's not an attractive man. No, he's not. He's not. not Nash Roman Yossi. Roman Yossi's at the top of my NHL list. I think... He's the most handsome man. <laughs> Have you seen Roman Yossi in that cowboy hat picture? Everyone should Google that right now. That twist boy has got a good jawline. Uh, I think Roman Yossi cowboy guy. hat? Yeah, Google Roman Yossi cowboy hat. There, if any ranger listens to this podcast, they're going to be like, yo, they're talking about who there's this two guys and this girl who are talking about who the most attractive Rangers are. And, uh, this is what the fans wanted to hear. And I was thinking that Nash is definitely, definitely the sort of man you'd want to introduce to parents. Nash is, uh, this is mom, dad, this, this is Rick. Yeah. uh, You think he's super respectful. Like I've never even, I don't even think Nash curses. Nash would blush if he heard Dillweed. Yeah, he would. He, he would say, Beth, your children are too rough around the edges for him. Yeah. <laughs> He's met one of my children. Uh, Has he? I guess she, she, she yeah, the, she was actually uh, holding his uh, baby for a good portion of uh, the first uh, Lego I'm, event. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This was the Lego thing that you did, like, last year? It was the first one I did, not the one Playmobil, I did. Playmobil, remember? No, not like those. Not Playmobil. Well, yes, that's right, it's Playmobil. Damn, what is wrong with you? people never invited me back. No, and your child held Rick Nash's child, and you never mentioned that? I, it didn't come up. What do you mean it didn't come up? You bring that up. <laughs> oh, my God, did the baby have a little lightning scar? Uh, it, no, he did not, but he looked very cute riding a Zamboni and hitting my daughter in the face with an empty water bottle. <laughs> he was, it was toward the end of the event, and he had basically had it. So, But he was very cute. And, yes, I have picked a pretty decent picture of them face-to-face. <laughs> but how did they, did Nash just say, I need you to hold my child? <laughs> His wife was there. And, and she wasn't the kid, I mean, the kid is a toddler. There's no way he was going to be held for, you know, the two hours that this went on. So as much as possible, she was letting him free range and just uh, following him around. And my youngest daughter is a baby magnet. 
And so he just came over to her for a while and they made funny faces at each other and he bopped her with a water bottle a few times and it was ridiculously cute. And actually, funnily, that is when Nash came over, picked him up and was holding him for some uh, for some conversation after that. So maybe his wife had had it. I have no idea. But yes, it was it was really cute. The baby. His wife was there, but the but the, his son was not. The second time they did a Playmobil event. Playmobil. You're a wealth of secrets that you hide from us, and I don't like it. Hey, you have a secret life vest. Yeah, you do. Your kid is hanging if out I'd with If I'd gotten an amazing kid. picture of it, I'm sure I would have posted it, but it just do exist. I'd like to point out to our listeners that Playmobil is an American company. Oh, yeah. And USA. its home office is in New Jersey. Ooh. <laughs> but one of my favorite things is from Jersey. Mike. Syphilis? Mike is one of your favorite uh, things. Is syphilis from Jersey? No, I just wanted to see what you would say. Uh, no, syphilis is not one of my favorite things. I hear that that's not fun. I wonder when where syphilis came from. That's what I'm going to Google. Uh, there's a dollop episode that covers that, actually. It's, oh. uh, yes. Are we talking Anywho, about syphilis? We are talking about syphilis. Bit. I don't know how that happened. Um, <clears throat> I think that's probably the place that we need to end this. I don't think we can go any further than talk about syphilis. Uh, no, that's pretty much present. where it ends. We tried to syphilis give you your money's worth. In the America uh, before European contact. Oh, go figure. We uh, like we uh, we kind of a new world disease, a different place, I think. Mike with his dog, <laughs> <laughs> Beth with Dillweed, and she didn't have the damn library book. It's actually, that's I will so, say this: it's very so funny that "damn" is your word because I remember berating you a couple of weeks ago for not taking a stand, and your stand was the damn Crider goals. <laughs> so. That hasn't gotten out of your system yet. Damn is just the way to go. Damn, damn, damn. My first word, I think, was crap. I like crap. Crap. Crap's fun. This is crap. I actually like rats. I'm a big fan of rats. Rats? Rats is very, like, what's that? Oh, my God. Little rascals. That's what it is. Yeah. That's probably. Ah, rats. You stamp your foot. In Britain, yeah, they I mean, say pants as an expletive, which I also like. Not pants. Okay. In Britain. See, we didn't uh, stop the syphilis after all. No, we didn't. Well, we had to move past it so that it wasn't the last Nothing thing that people stops heard. Syphilis. As a reminder, we are asking you to pay for this. Believe it or not, that is what we want out of you. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Banter. Go there, and in the event that Beth uh, gets arrested for licking a ranger, you will pay her bail money. How does that sound? Sound like a good deal for you? I think it's wise that we set aside an emergency fund for that. Yeah, okay. um, some quick notes that I meant to mention in the beginning of the show, but I forgot. Blue Shirt Banter won the commenting war for the fourth year in a row. Uh, here is how dominant our comment section is. And this is Mike gets 99% of the credit for this because he built the community up to where it is right now. Jesus we had. 90,000 less mouth. comments this year. 90,000 less comments this year than last year. And we still won the comments more. 
because Mike wow. is a hero. Mike created an environment of love and care and intelligent banter on a web space where everybody in the internet, the comments are a tire fire, not on Blue Shirt Banter, and that's because of Mike. Um, we grew in every single statistical category in terms of traffic this year. We grew in every category last year, which means we got better from the Stanley Cup run to the Eastern Conference final run to the tire fire of the defense that was last year. So um, thank you all for that. And the podcast is growing and it's pretty cool and we're getting more Patreon subscribers. So again, please donate. Patreon.com slash Blue Shirt Panther. You can find Beth at Twitter.com slash Beth Macklin, BlueShirtBanter.com and BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters. Mike at Twitter.com slash Dig Deep BSB. Twitter, or I already said Twitter, BlueShirtBanter, BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters and Fan Rag Sports. Me, you can just find on BlueShirtBanter. Just put BlueShirtBanter in somewhere and eventually you will find me. I am... And in your dreams. I am there for you. Yes, potentially your dreams of stabbing. Or loving. I don't know. Okay. Uh, I love you both. I'm going to gas stations for candy. United States. (laughs) There was candy. (laughs) Sour candy. I love sour candy. Uh, The United States and Canada are tied in the World Junior Gold Medal game 2-2. And we don't have to worry about beating the Blue Jackets. And we don't have to worry about beating the Blue Jackets? Well, I mean, we still have to worry, but not quite as much. Right, not the... The Capitals are crushed them right now. uh, Yeah, just... Destroy that. Um, back to Wednesdays next week. I think we're doing this on Thursday because the Rangers. Uh, is the on the podcast? But okay, I think this is our longest podcast ever. I don't know if that's good or bad. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everybody.